0: Next year, the 2020 Olympic Summer Games will kick off in Tokyo, Japan, with the opening ceremonies that honor the host country and introduces us to a number of athletes with countless stories of focus, drive, and commitment. We'll be glued and cheering across our screens and apps as we watch athletes and teams compete for an array of medals. On the road to Tokyo 2020, we will follow a select group of athletes and check in with them as they train to make their teams in order to compete in Tokyo as Olympic hopefuls. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith and I hope you'll follow me and our esteemed guests as we begin the amazing journey to the road to Tokyo 2020. We all have our favorite sports and track and field is definitely one of ours. We're excited to kick off our inaugural episode of The Road to Tokyo 2020 with Natasha Hastings, otherwise known as the 400-meter diva. She has participated in a number of world championships and meets, and she has represented her country with gold medals at the Olympics in Beijing 2008 and Rio 2016, and she is now making her plans for Tokyo 2020. We find out about her drive and career on and off the track, as well as finding out more about her beauty line and her upcoming marriage to retired NFL athlete William Gay. Before your championships and Olympic gold meddling, how did you come to track and field and ultimately decide on the specific races that you run?
1: So I I feel like I was kind of born into the sport.
2: Both of my parents were in track. My mom made the 84 Olympics for Trinidad. Mm. Um, my dad used to take me to um, practice when he was coaching and um, but I was sort of I guess discovered in uh, 1996 my mom she took me to Colgate women's games a few times but this year in particular um, my club coach who would then end up coaching me all the way through high school before I went on to college um, but so that I was 10 when I officially joined the team um, and then I guess I found the 400, like, I, it was one of those things where we kind of knew right away, but it was kind of like, oh, she, um, let her have fun, we'll let her run the 100 and the 200 this year, but she's really a quarter miler, we're going to move her right to the quarter.
1: Wow.
2: So I started out running the 100 and the 200. Um, And as I got older, I focused more on the quarter.
0: And what are the differences between indoor and outdoor track? I
2: mean, I I would say the biggest difference is, um, of course, the length of the track. Um, Mm. The indoor track is about half the size or typically half the size of an outdoor track. Mm. Um, There are some tracks that we call oversized, So where one lap on an outdoor track is 400 meters, indoors is 200 is the standard, Oh, Um, and then um, another difference may be the turns may be banked versus um, just flat all around. Mm -hmm. So typically when you have banked turns, um, those are what we call faster tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The times tend to be a little bit faster because you get a bit of uh, help from the banks going around the turn.
0: So how did you get named the 400 meter diva?
2: Um, so <laughs> that came about in college. um what happened? It was my freshman year, yeah, I think it was my freshman year. I told this story so many times, I don't even remember so it was <laughs> my freshman year. we were going to Penn relays, and um you know we we had some media press to do, and my coach asked me to do this interview. Um, you know, being from New York, Pen Relays is kind of like almost like a second homecoming. i have run it every mm-hmm. year
1: in high school.
2: My mom and dad, of course, had a, a long history there. My mom to this day, even if I'm not running, she still goes. Um, oh, wow. So anyway, I did this interview. The um, journalist asked me what made me choose South Carolina. And I went through all of these things about it being a good school. Coach was a good quarter mileer coach. And then the last thing that I said, um, I said something like, "In the girls, I mean, for just a lack of a better word, they were just divas.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so the headline ran, the Gamecock Divas Return to Penn Relays. That was what the story was titled. Wow. So everyone from my coach, from our head coach down, like, ran with it. He had outfits made that said Gamecock Divas on it. Wow. Uh, I think to this day they still use the nickname, so 400 meters, deep, they came out of that.
1: I, so for I a love while that. There
2: was, yeah, for a while there was this kind of thing like, who does she think she is? Why would she give her? That? And it was like, no, it mm-hmm. actually was like a team thing. And then it accidentally came out of that, and I just ran away with it.
0: What What point did you realize that you wanted to compete at the Olympic level?
2: Um. So that, that's kind of an interesting question, because I think when that year when I started running, 1996 was actually the year that the Olympics were here in mm-hmm. Atlanta, or at least in the States, in yep. Atlanta. So I remember watching that, and I remember um, I, I was 10 when I was like, man, I could I, see myself doing that. I would absolutely love to be. In the Olympics one day, Michael Johnson had his gold spikes. Right. I wear gold spikes. you have to John and Kersey. Like, I just remember all of those greats that were in that Olympic game. Um, but even though I wanted to be an Olympian, the idea of being a professional was still a separate um, mm. idea or thing, or it wasn't something that I knew that, um, you know, I could do this and make a living out of it. Right. Um, so, even though the dream was born in me
1: when mm-hmm. I was about
2: 10, it wasn't until I got to college that I realized, like, oh, I could actually turn crow and do this full time and that be my living. Um, so it was kind of like two phases, but the dream was definitely born, the 10-year-old girl watching the 1996 Olympics.
0: I mean, that is so interesting. Um, thinking back to your first Olympic appearance in Beijing in 2008, what were what was it like for you in terms of preparing for the Games mentally and also just from an athletic standpoint? Was that more difficult for you?
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. I mean, I was so, so green. Mm. Um, again, for just a, a lack of a better word, um, I was coming off of, I actually went professional after my junior year of college. Yep. Um, And I came out, I was up until um, the U.S. Nationals, I was number one in the world. Mm. And then I went into the world championships the year before, like top five in the world. So there was so much pressure behind my name in terms of what it was thought I was going to do. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I learned very, very quickly that collegiate track is not professional track.
1: Right. Um,
2: And I kind of went into it like, you know, I I, I do have this this thing where I don't believe that, you know, you have to recreate the wheel. I, I feel like if you... What you've done to get this far Mm -hmm. is good enough, and you shouldn't get to this level and try to, you know, again, recreate the wheel. However, there is a difference, Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it is the mindset, you know, in the question that you asked me, and I I was not um, mentally tough or mentally prepared enough. Right. Um, early on in my career, that being my first Olympic appearance.
1: Um,
2: and it was, I, I remember going out onto the track and, um, my friend, my good friend, Ron Clement, before I went out, he was like, um, you know, whatever you do, just don't look into the stadium. So of oh,
1: course, no. what yeah. do I do
2: when I go out there? Oh no. right up into the stadium. Oh no. Um, but so, you know, even in that moment, I had to like, pull it back together, you know, regather gather my focus and all of that, but um, I can definitely say, you know, having gone to the Olympics twice,
1: mm-hmm. my
2: experience in 2008 was a totally different experience in 2016, and a lot of it being just maturing, mm-hmm. as well as in 2016, I'm also now in a phase where I'm like... I'm blessed to do what I do, and who knows, you know, how long I'll be able to do this. So I'm even more so in a space where I want to take everything in. So, like, in 2008, I didn't experience the Olympics the way that I experienced it in 2016, if that makes sense.
0: No, no, it totally Um, makes sense.
2: Yeah, I was just kind of there, like, okay, I'm here to compete, and that's that. 2016, Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm here to compete, I have a job to do, Mm -hmm. however... There's so many other things going on. My family's here. My friends are here. I'm going to cherish these moments. So there were, I mean, and and I think that that also came with my um, mental maturity, right? Right. Exactly. Being aware that, you know, it's a blessing to be here and these are moments to
0: cherish. Well, a number of people watch the Olympics and they don't realize that between Olympic appearances, you guys have a full schedule of training competitions and, and different things like that. As you're looking at 2020 for Tokyo, what competitions are you going to be involved in from now until the decision making time for you to get on the team?
1: Man, so I mean, <laughs> that's right. I, I, I
2: love that question because it's like uh, when I get the question, like, "So what are you doing between the Olympics?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh my God, there's so much more than just the Olympics." Exactly. Actually, um interestingly enough, although the Olympics is our, um it's the pinnacle, it's the height of what we all aspire to get to in our sport. Mm-hmm. We actually make the least amount of money in the Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> than we do in any other, and and I mean. Maybe in an Olympic year overall, we probably do make more money, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, every year we have the Diamond League Series, which, you know, that's our premier um, meet that is based on a point system. And right now we're kind of going through some changes where, you know, they're trying to come up with a point system. Something to make it more, um, I believe more lucrative to get like some of the top tier athletes mm-hmm. to perform a little bit more often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we have a season every single year. Um, so this 2019 is a world championship year, uh, being mm. held in Doha. So. Oh, nice. That's of course the focus this year. Yeah. And Doha is actually one of my favorite places to visit. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have the diamond league series. There's a typical indoor season, which I probably, I'm definitely not competing indoors this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would next year. Um, Just with my age, my knees, I don't know if I can. I'm just kind of, you know, it's not that I can't do the things that I've done before. I just have to be a little bit more careful.
0: Exactly. Um, I'm
2: very mindful of that. But, you know, we have a full season, Olympic year or not.
0: Exactly. Which is what we, the, one of the reasons why we came up with the Road to Tokyo 2020 was to impart on people, like, as athletes, you guys are doing a lot of stuff and it's not just about podium to podium. There's a lot going on. And on our, our sister media house for Athleisure Mag, you know, we've interviewed tons of different Olympian athletes and they're always talking about different things that are actually happening throughout their year. So we just really like to showcase these people are, truly just killing it over all these different places and yes you see them in these cities but you can watch them on various things throughout the year so i I just think that's so important absolutely um and because of that you know we'll be following along with you to to figure out all these different things when is the actual olympic year for your sport
2: um, so, it's 2020. So, mm-hmm. track and field is a true outdoor Summer Olympics. So, it's every four years, 2020. Um, I don't think we have any winter sports, although we're starting to see some of our track athletes go over to the yep. winter sports. Mm-hmm. So, we've seen a few do the bobsled. That's My mom's that. kind of hinting at. So, do you think when you retire, maybe you'll go over to bobsled? And I'm like, listen, <laughs> 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 I don't know. I want to start a family. Like, right. But um, but no, we're we're typically in the Summer Olympics, and that's every four
0: years. Well, coming off of you know the issues that you are having with your knee, how is that affecting you in terms of like the workouts that you typically do? Has it shifted a little bit, or do you have to kind of like add things back in? Obviously, as you're cleared along the way.
2: Yeah, all of the above. Okay, um, I'm finding myself, you know, looking for new ways to train. So. You know, I'm I'm in the pool at least once a week now, so it's wow. not something that is totally new. Mm-hmm. Um, we we I've done pool workouts for my entire career, um, but now being in there every single week that's mm-hmm. new. Excuse me. So just finding ways that, you know, I can still get the work capacity in, the workload in, um, but taking some of that impact off of my knee and allowing some, of, some of what we call active recovery as well. Mm-hmm. Being more intentional about those days. Um, muscle memory is a great thing. <laughs> so yeah. My body does remember a lot of the things that I have done. In fact, um, some days, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning a little bit because, you know, I'm, I'm training mostly on my own now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I say on my own, I mean, I'm still with my coach. I'm still with a training group, but I'm not necessarily doing everything that the group is doing. Exactly. But on those days that I hop in with the group and I'm keeping up or even, you know, ahead of them mm-hmm. it's reassuring that okay girl you like still got it, it. You're still doing <laughs> the right thing so you know and I mean I'm doing a lot of pool work I'm, I'm even taking some thin classes nice um I go ride my bike so you know it's just about being more intentional about the way that I get the load in um but it, just does, it doesn't mean that I can't get it in at all. Exactly. I have to be more
0: creative. So when you are training right now, what are three key workouts that you do in your routine that you find yourself doing either daily or just throughout the week that you love doing?
1: Yeah. Huh
2: that's a hard question because I have to if I'm honest training yep. is my least favorite part of the grind <laughs> but you know <don't>, I, <laughs> I love that I wake up and just be fast I love right. to compete but the training part I'm like ugh yeah Um. so I this, I, 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 don't know if this, this equates as like a part of training but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's I, I think diet is part of training absolutely I have to have a cup of coffee in the morning mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's like my pre workout before I go to the gym <laughs> Um, And then my favorite, um, I guess, my favorite part of training actually is the weight room. Like Mm -hmm. if I could lift all day, not touch the track, that's a great day of training for
0: me. Wow.
2: So so some sort of like lift. I love Olympic lifting. Me and squat kind of have like a love-hate relationship, Mm -hmm. especially with my knee now, correcting that form. Um, and then of course, abs, my stomach is always something that I'm like, Ooh, we could be tighter. We could, you Mm -hmm. know, so abs, whether in the gym or on my own is something that I'm always working on. And then lastly, I don't know. I love sprints. Mm. Um, even though I'm a quarter miler, um, I, I love when I get the chance to jump in with the short sprinters, the shorter sprinters and, um you know, do some 30s and 60s with them. Mm-hmm. Again, being the older one and mm-hmm. the quarter miler, it's always fun to be like, ha, uh-huh. y'all. I guess I do kind of have some favorites.
0: So what are your favorite foods that you like to eat in terms of gaining energy when you're, you know, about to train or go work out? And what are your splurge foods that you enjoy eating?
2: So energy-wise, I would have to say beef. <laughs> I had some the other day, actually, and I, I went out with my girlfriend's and I was eating them and they were like, what are these? What are those? And I was like, they're beets. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, I've never seen golden. D. I was like, yeah. Yes. But I just, beets are just, they're just everything. Um, like I said, they're very nutrient rich and they're, I do, I do know that they are an acquired taste. Yes. But for whatever reason, I love them. Um, a slurge meal, I would have to say for sure is a cheeseburger. Um, nice. and that's kind of like my go-to after a good track me. Um, yep. cause I'm, normally after a track meet I'm like ravenous like I can see everything
0: in sight so when you're running on the relay how do you coordinate hand passes and the baton like that just seems so difficult and yet when I watch you do yeah. it it is so seamless
1: yeah so
2: man. so thankfully in the 4x4 four four, mm. our exchange isn't one that like you know we've been blessed because the four by four for us mm-hmm. like we come from all parts of the country yeah and we literally only run together at the world championships for the Olympics. wow um and so for the four by four like i said i mean we've been blessed in that in that you know that exchange really is one that you can look at all the way into
1: the hand it's mm-hmm. not
2: a, a blind or a very fast exchange so i can't say that my training is any different um The four by four just kind of fits into my training versus me, um, you know, training for the four by four. Mm -hmm. Um, the four by one though, that's where it becomes our curse because again, we have so much talent and you know, when you see the four by one run together, that's typically the first time that they've run together. So, you know, when they, that's why, you know, we have training camp which will be about, it's usually about two weeks before the um World Championships or the Olympics. So mm-hmm. we'll technically be together for about three weeks. And that time is, that training camp really is built for the relay team. Right. But they do open it for other athletes to come. But that's the time where you're building that chemistry and that camaraderie and just working on those exchanges. But Holy again, crap. they spend more time with the 4 by one than they do with the 4 by 4
0: I mean, it boggles my mind that you're like, yeah, we don't really see each other that much until this time to do it. Because you watch and you're like, oh, they must have been doing that for like four or five months because, wow. Well, that's just a testament to how insanely talented that you are, that that would be so effortless, which is just crazy. And I'll say,
2: even though... That four that you, you see at that moment mm-hmm. probably haven't run together before. Mm-hmm. They've all run it in in college and right. maybe practiced with their team. So there's repetitions. It's just not repetitions with those exact people.
0: Right. Well, as an Under Armour athlete, how has that partnership helped you in assisting your career?
2: I, you know, I've been with Under Armour since 2012. Whoa. And I was with another shoe company before that. Mm-hmm. I don't name them because most people don't know and I like it that way right um but I do like to reference that because there has been a difference in the sense of you know feeling as though I'm a part of a team versus just being a number
1: mm-hmm. um
2: and then the other biggest thing that I really love about the brand is um you know when I initially had the meeting before signing with them because they wanted to have a meeting yeah. to make sure I fit with the brand mm-hmm. before signing me um you know, I wish I could name her, but she's no longer with us. She left the, the company, but she sat down for me, mm. apart for me, and she said, "You know, we're looking for the female athlete that we can have stand next to Tom Brady, not behind." Wow! Tom Brady. And that, to me, spoke volumes that you know, here it is—a brand is looking for female athletes that we don't stand behind behind anyone you Yeah, know? we're, we're powerful and we're unapologetic and we are who we are. Um, so, and that, that has been something that they have been true to my entire time being a part of this brand. So being a part of something that, you know, celebrates the woman celebrates the underdogs, um it's it's just been a really incredible experience, and I honestly really hope that the relationship continues even beyond mm-hmm. my track career um because I really believe in um, the things that they're doing in terms of empowering the female athlete, and then now you know me going on with my foundation and mm-hmm. wanting to pay forward to other female athletes, um, we just couldn't align anymore.
0: Wow. Well, one thing I love about you is you bring the glam to the track. What made you think of doing lashes and and having this beauty line?
2: Oh, you know, I don't know. It was kind of one of those things where it was like, duh, you Mm -hmm. know, like... (laughs) um. Just, I know I can't run for the rest of my life, and it's like, okay, what is your brand? What do yeah. you want to have ownership of? And um, you know, lashes, lipstick, makeup. It was the kind of thing. It was the thing, first of all, as an athlete that I was um, criticized for at first. Yeah. You know, when I came out and I had these, the lipstick on and the eyelashes, people would, pardon me, people would say, um, you know, well, maybe if you would focus more on your performance. You mm-hmm. would be doing better than wearing this makeup, and it was like. First of all, it takes me 15 minutes to put my makeup yep. on. If that 15 minutes is the reason why I had a bad race, mm-hmm. we have much bigger exactly. problems than <laughs> me wearing an eyelash. Um, so, so then it became this thing where I was just like, you know, through you, I'm going to do what makes me feel good about myself. And, you know, my, going back to my college coach, that was the thing with him too, you know. Mm-hmm. He always say, ladies, don't come downstairs to the track meet. Your hair's not done. Yep, You got some lip gloss on. Fellas, make sure your hair is cut and you look neat like mm-hmm. our, our college coach he was always about you know being a representation and you know coming from the black community yep. as well he always wanted us to be positive influences and positive representation so I was like you know what I don't have to fit into whatever it is that you um feel like I should fit into as an athlete whatever that box is that you created. So I was like, okay, I need to start making money off of yep. this because people are asking me, what color am I wearing? Mm-hmm. What, what, where did you get that from? Um, so it was kind of like an aha duh moment, I would say. And I then love now, it. you know, just looking across sports, period, um, you know, I, I have to sit down and really work on my business plan, but I do want my brand to be sort of an athletic
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: makeup brand, and that's why a lot of the names are reflective of um, track and field or myself. Exactly. Um, So I do hope to, like, maybe have a Serena collection Mm -hmm. and name it, you know, name some things after her, that kind of thing, where as we branch out, um, you know, we incorporate more athletes and more athletic personalities in that way. But, Mm. again, just busting through that norm of, like, what an athlete should be or look like
1: or no? Yeah. You do
0: you, be unapologetic about that and mm-hmm. celebrate that. I love that. So what are your three must-have beauty items that you always have no matter what? So obviously, lashes. <laughs> exactly. Lipstick. I always have a red lipstick with me. I've, lately,
2: now that I, I have lipstick in my collection, I'm like, okay, I have to get away from always wearing red. Thirdly, a good concealer. Ooh, um, nice, yes. I've been good... Yeah, I've been good about skincare. That's another thing that I'm, I'm big about. I'm actually sitting outside of my dermatologist's office right now for my next appointment. Nice. But, okay. Um, I'm really good about skin skincare because you know you can pile on a bunch of makeup, but if your skin underneath that yep. makeup is not good, your makeup isn't going to look good. So, um, I can I can get away with a good concealer mm-hmm. and be
0: good. So, tell us about the Natasha Hastings Foundation.
2: <laughs> it was a thing where um. You know, I I thought about my experiences Mm -hmm. and um, some of the things that, you know, I wish that I'd had along the way. Um, Even as an adult, there are things that, um, you know, along with my foundation, there's a reason why I started, like, my YouTube channel and, you know, the things that I share on social media that, like, it's not all glitz and glam and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, people... Look at look at us on TV, and they're like, "Man, they're superheroes." And it's like, <laughs> actually, right. I go through the same crap that you do. I have body image issues. There's some days I wake up and I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, so so being able to pay that forward to the next generation. There's so many things that I learned in my 20s that now I'm like, man, if I had known that when mm-hmm. I was 15, yeah, what a difference would that have made, you know? So. The Natasha Hastings Foundation, um, our mission is to be a starting block for girls to become women of confidence in sport and life. Mm -hmm. Um, So just opening doors for girls to see what sport can be. You know, it's not just about track and field, but any sport and you know um, there's, there's a statistic out there, there's something like 85% of the female CEOs out there play sports mm-hmm. at some point in their life, Yep. so you know you may not even grow up to be the Olympian mm-hmm. or the professional basketball player or whatever that may be but there's so many other things that sports can do for young girls and show young girls and teaching them self-worth, self-love, character all mm-hmm. of those things, so Um, That's my way of, you know, wanting to pay it forward to the
0: next generation of young ladies coming up. Well, you are a busy woman, but you're about to get even busier because I know that you're engaged to William Gay. Where are you in your wedding planning process?
2: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Where where are we? So we we did, um, we interviewed about three wedding planners, Mm. um, and then now we're kind of like in the... um, contract phase yep so we yeah so we're we're hoping that she agrees to our terms and mm-hmm. send back. But we haven't heard anything so we don't know oh my <laughs> so god. we're kind of at a standstill with that but um otherwise i mean we did select the date you know, nice colors i have my um my my bridesmaids
0: And that's it. (laughs) But that's huge. I mean, that's, that is a lot on your plate. So how, my final question is, how do you take time for yourself to make sure you have the appropriate time? I know you just got a new home and all these different things and you are spinning a lot of plates. How do you take some personal time?
2: Um, you know, that's something that I'm really intentional about. Um, and it's, it's something that it's like, for me, it's like, even if it's just 20 minutes out of the day, Mm um, so as crazy as it sounds, when I come home from practice every day, no matter what, I microwave my lunch, and mm-hmm. I sit in front of the TV, and I watch The View. Nice. Now, whether my fiance is home, he's now retired, so he's home. Yep. Whether he's home or not, don't bother me during this hour. This is what I need to watch.
1: I, I, I love that. Right
2: now, as I decompress from, you know, practice and you know, even when he was competing, that mm-hmm. was a thing that I, I was respectful of too because, you know, yeah. I think sometimes people um, don't necessarily understand that as much as I love what I do, it's still a job, you exactly. know, and I need that time to unwind and decompress and so I make it a point that every day after practice, that is what I do. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's just a quiet, you know, read a couple pages in a book um, I'm, I'm intentional about, you know, just last week I I made some time to hang out with my girlfriend.
1: It was just, you know,
2: holiday season and all mm-hmm. this stuff came up and I was like, look, I'm going to dinner at such and such time. Yep. If you can meet me, be here. That kind of thing. Wow. And I think, you know, you, you just, you have to, even if you have to just squeeze it in, yes. you have to make that time for yourself.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Road to Tokyo 2020. And as you count down the weeks of the Olympic Summer Games, we will continue to share the stories of these athletes. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Premium. The Road to Tokyo 2020 is a member of the multimedia podcast network, Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media and Athleisure Mag. You can see our show notes at athleisurestudio.com backslash The Road to Tokyo 2020 and follow us on Instagram at the road to Tokyo 2020 to find out who we're talking with as well as how our athletes are doing the road to Tokyo 2020 is hosted by me Kimmy Smith is executive produced by Paul Farkas and myself our theme music now and never is performed by Ilya Marfin. we'll see you on the road to Tokyo 2020 the Olympics is a registered trademark of the International Olympic Committee